Father, thank you so much for this time we have to look into your word, and I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that uh, we would receive it, and you would use it uh, to grow us in the, to conformity to the, your son, that uh, you would be glorified in our response to your word today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Well, you probably heard the old saying, uh, to dwell with saints above, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell with saints below, oh, that's another story, right? (laughs) We all know that, right? We all know, even though that we are redeemed, that we still have these bodies of sin and we still sin. And even within the church, those who are following the Lord, wanting to obey Him, there can be conflict, there can be difficulties. And now sometimes we recognize within those conflicts that we just need to let things go. You know, most conflict would be resolved uh, immediately if we just let stuff go, if we just gave it over to Christ and let it go. If we just knew and understood that love covers a multitude of sins, if we stopped presuming about what we thought might have happened, which we don't know for sure, we thought we'd do, if we just let it go. But there are times when things are not let go. Now, with non-believers or make-believers in the church, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have conflict because they don't have the Spirit of God. That's, that's a given. But with believers, we shouldn't have conflict, but there may be times in which there is conflict. And so how do we as believers following the Lord deal with conflict in the body of Christ? We're going to see that answer today as we see and look at overcoming hindrances to standing firm in Christ. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and we are going to be looking at verses 2 and 3 today. Verses 2 and 3. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3. Now the Apostle Paul, as you know, is writing the saints who are in Philippi. He is under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He has already prayed for these uh, believers that they would grow in their love for Christ in real knowledge and discernment, not phony baloney love, but real knowledge and discernment, that they would choose the excellent things in Christ He has shared his circumstances that although he is chained, the gospel is not. And he has shared his attitude to live as Christ and to die as gain, understanding that everything that happens, whether through death or life, that Christ would be magnified. And then he addressed the Philippians' attitude that they were to have the mind of Christ. They were to persevere, press forward, press on, stand firm in the gospel And they also were to have united, humble hearts. They were to be like Jesus Christ, seeing one another as more important than themselves, scoping out for ways to do so. And we saw the perfect example, the mind of Christ. We see that uh, he was so gracious and so kind and merciful to us that he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself becoming a, a, a bondservant. He humbled himself becoming a bondservant, or he emptied himself and then humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The perfect example of the mindset of humility in our Savior Jesus Christ. And then we saw, because he has been exalted back to his rightful place as Lord of all, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, that we are to obediently work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to have a righteous respect and reverence for God and a fear of sinning because he's a holy God, yet we've been, the price has so greatly been paid for for us. And then we are to, because of him working in us, 
uh, we are to not complain or argue in anything. Believers should are to do all things apart from complaining and disputing. And then he gave three selfless examples of those who are working out their salvation or being himself, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And then he started to share threats to that truth of walking with Christ and working out your salvation. Beware of the dogs, the evil workers, the false circumcision. And he explained that himself and his cohorts, but also believers, that we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. You want to spot a true believer. You want to spot a true servant of the Lord in terms of leadership. They put no confidence in the flesh. And Paul said, if anyone did or could put confidence, it was me back as Mr. Saul. That's what we saw back in chapter 3. You see, he had the religious qualifications. He had all the qualifications to put confidence. He was righteous on the outside. Uh, He had the heritage. He had it all. But when he came to Christ, he got righteousness through faith in Jesus, and he considered everything else as refuse compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And then we were called to have his attitude, to press forward, to look forward, that we were to look forward, not turning back, forgetting what lies behind, to that upward call in Christ Jesus, becoming more like Jesus Christ. And we were to mimic the Apostle Paul and his walk. We were to mimic the faith that he had, applying the Word of God to circumstances and attitudes. We were to do that. And we were to scope out those who do that also. That's who we should be hanging out with. That's who we should be around. Those who are wanting and trying to trust Christ like Paul trusted Christ, allowing his Word to to bring about a changed mindset towards one another and towards him. We see that. And we are not to go back to from where we have come. And as we are to mimic, he gave two examples of why we should be doing so. A negative one, because those who don't, those make-believers, are now enemies of the cross of Christ. And But we are, have a heavenly citizenship in which we eagerly await a Savior who will transform this humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. And we came into chapter 4 in which we were encouraged not encouraged we were commanded right to stand firm in the lord to stand firm in the lord and that these believers were paul's joy and crown they were his current joy if they followed and walked with the lord and they would be his crown in eternity as they as they glorified christ for what god allowed to happen through paul in their lives through the word of god tremendous realities and now we come to a portion which seem to be seemingly uh, separate commands, but I believe they are together. And I believe we're going to see today that even this exhortation to these two women who had a conflict really has part of the main theme of the book involved in it. That maybe what the Apostle Paul was addressing this, and this is the illustration of what he's trying to get across throughout the whole thing. And he's using a real illustration in the midst of the congregation. So with that in mind, how are we to live in light of our heavenly destiny? We saw we stand firm in the Lord. And within that, how do we uh, avoid the threats to standing firm? We're going to see that uh, we need to to know how to resolve conflict in the body of Christ. Because it's coming. And hopefully it never gets to this point, and we'll see that. But if it does, God gives us wisdom on how to address it. With that in mind, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, and I'm going to read it here. I urge Eudia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. 
Indeed, true comrade, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Again, I just mentioned that we were commanded to stand firm in the Lord. But yet when we have conflict, yet when we, as we will see, are worried, yet when we see we are not rejoicing, uh, we cannot stand firm in the Lord. These are obstacles to standing firm in the Lord. When our mind is not on Christ, these are obstacles to trusting the Lord and, and pressing forward to the upward call, to becoming more like Him. You see, when I've got spits and spats with people, I'm not becoming more like Him. I'm becoming more like I was before I was in Christ. And we're going to see these are obstacles. These are obstacles, and Paul is going to head-on address this one particularly. You see, we should recognize that difficulties and arguments between believers should not be there. They should not be there. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 10. Turn there right there. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. And we see that these things, these events in the Old Testament were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. They're written for us to be instructed that we, who now have the Spirit of God, would not crave evil things. And guess what? When we're craving evil things, we're going to have gumbling, complaining, and arguing, and all that stuff, by the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Now, all these things happened as an example for us that we should not crave evil things as they craved and not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. 23,000 fell in a day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as an example and they are written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now I speak of grumbling here but we saw earlier in the book of Philippians that we are not to grumble or dispute in anything. There should be no disputing among believers. We see in chapter 2 verse 14 do all things without grumbling or disputing grumbling or disputing. And that takes the renewed mind, relying on Christ, wanting his uh, will to be done, having his word flowing through my heart so that I see things rightly and I don't respond in my flesh. So then, we see this is very important. You see, if we are disputing or arguing, or if we are, as we will see, not rejoicing, if we are worrying We are uh, targets for the enemy, and we will certainly not stand firm in the Lord. It's very important. So as we look at these two verses, I want to uh, point out that we're going to see basically two things. We're going to see the Apostle Paul direct his his, uh, exhortation to them, first and foremost, personally. You, too, take care of this, and we'll see how. And then he will direct it to what we think might be leaders in the body of Christ on how to come alongside. Because this spat had gotten out of control. It had gotten out of control. So let's take a look at the situation. Verse 2, back in our passage. I urge Judea and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Think about this. This is Paul writing a letter. He's under house arrest. The Philippian church is sitting there. Epaphroditus is getting up to read the letter that Paul has 
God, and he gets to chapter 4, verse 2, and he says, I urge Udia and Syntyche, right? He's, he's saying it right in the midst. That he's calling their names out to live in harmony in the Lord. And again, I don't believe this was any small argument because the word had gotten back to the Apostle Paul over 1,600 miles that there was a problem. It was a problem. And we're going to see that these two uh, ladies were not sideline saints. They were not make-believers. They were those who had diligently served the Lord with the Apostle Paul. They were true followers of Christ. But there was a problem. There was a problem. And so you could imagine the stairs. Uh, and so with that in mind, we take a look at this. Now, when we have difficulties, when we have things, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, points things out at times. He'll name names. He'll name names. He names names concerning bad theology, by the way. There are times in which leadership must name names to protect and hear to actually build up the body of Christ. You see, there are times where it isn't judging to name names. You see, in the context of pointing out dangerous theology. And within that, the Apostle Paul reveals in First uh, Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love. And then he goes on to name names of those who are at odds with the truth of God and the God of the truth. Let me share this. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Turn there. First Timothy 1, 18. 1 Timothy 1.18 This commandment I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regards to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Hey, there's some names there, right? Um, whom I decided to turn over to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Pretty serious. Go up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's interesting in Paul's letters to Timothy, in each one in the beginning, he shares some names. Watch out, Timothy. Watch out. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us uh, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phlygius, I can't say that, and Hermogenes. Names, he names names. Then the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiris, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. One more passage. Look up at 2 Timothy chapter 4, a little farther up in verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon for somebody. He names his name. Demas. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The reality is at times the Apostle Paul needed to name names. Some to warn for doctrinal issues and some to address, as we'll see, for people's good, as we're going to see today. Remember, he called out John Mark in the end of Colossians. John Mark and him, well, they had a spat, him and Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. John Mark had deserted the ministry. Paul said no, rightfully. And there was a spat at that point. And John Mark was restored in a sense. But Paul needed to give special instructions concerning that. And so sometimes their names need to be named. 
And here he says, I urge, back in our passage in Philippians, Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. You see, Paul comes right out and says that these two women have a problem, and certainly it was evident, and he's going to address it head on. Now before, again, I want to remind each one of us, we're going to see these were not sideline saints. They weren't people who just came on Sunday, heard the sermon, went home, did the rest of their week. They're on their own. They had served the Lord with Paul. They were involved in the ministry of the church. They were functioning rightly. It's not talking about people who come each week and they have issues or whatever, you know, because they're walking on the flesh anyway. Talking about people who are trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord. And so we realize, take heed you who stand lest you fall. If you're trusting the Lord walking with him, we can be tempted and we can have conflict. And we need to know how to resolve it. We do need to know how to resolve it. So with that in mind, he says, indeed, true comrade, I ask you, and looking in verse 3, to help these women. Notice they weren't sidelined saints who have shared my struggle. Verse 3, in the cause of the gospel. They have shared Paul's struggle in the same cause, the cause of the gospel. The term struggle speaks of contending and toiling by one side. They had strived along with me. You see, the ministry is not easy. Teaching and preaching the word of God is not easy. Sharing the gospel is not easy. Building up the saints, there is always opposition. There are those who will come alongside and support that. The body of Christ does. So that God's word will get out and we are built up and God's word will get out and people are saved. People are saved. And there is a whole bunch of different gifts that function to glorify Christ. And Paul says, they have served alongside with me. They have struggled with me. These women had been in the midst of the battle, the good fight of faith. And yet they were at odds. And everyone knew about it. Now, why would there be conflict between believers? Well, James gives us a snippet into the ultimate reason behind that. James 4.1, I'll read it for you. What is the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures or desires, your, 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 what you want, uh, that wage war in your members? When you don't get what you want, when whatever it is, good or bad, there becomes conflict if we don't yield ourselves to Christ, as we'll see, and do what he wants. So then, we have conflict between two women who were sharers of the struggle of the gospel of Christ. And so what's Paul's response to this struggle? He says in verse 2, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony with the Lord. Now what's amazing here is we recognize, usually when there are issues between people, especially in the church, it's probably in a couple areas that they could be. The first one could be a doctrinal issue, Right? Could be theology. We could, there could be a difference on something that, that, that could become an argument, maybe. It could be, uh, uh, personal issues, uh, personality issues, or whatever it might be. There's personalities that bother someone, or, or get on someone's nerves, or whatever it might be. It could be methodological issues. Uh, they do it this way, I want to do it this way. Whatever it might be, there, there are things that come about that cause conflict. Now, I'm pretty certain, I believe, that this was not a doctrinal issue. And the reason why I can say that is because in every other letter of the Apostle Paul, he addresses doctrinal issues right on. I believe if it was a doctrinal issue, he would have said, Judea, stop saying that. Syndicate, stop saying that, whatever it was. They're wrong. 
You see what I'm saying? He doesn't do that. He doesn't address that. So it's my belief this is a personal issue, whether it's over methodology, personal interactions, whatever it is, there's a spat going on between these ladies, between these ladies. Now, we need to be careful to never let it get to that point, believers. We need to recognize through presumption comes much strife. You know, it's so easy to hear something from someone and misread what they're saying and misread it and then think a whole reality that's not reality, by the way, and then treat them differently because of that. And we should be going to people right away and say, hey, you said that and I'm, you know, I wonder what you meant by that. You know, we should go to people or we should let it go. We should let it go. We need to address these things early before they get to these pla- this place. We need to know that love covers a multitude of sins. So yes, they said something that was insensitive. It's not their, their character. Let it go. Let it go. I heard a story where a person you know, had uh, come in and they were doing something for someone at the church and, and the person came in and the guy goes, oh, w- w- just, just figures like that. And the person thought, oh, because he was late or whatever, okay? And, and, and he thought, oh, he's mad at me because I'm late. Well, the whole thing was the guy was basically saying, oh, this day's gone bad. It just figures it would go bad this way for me. My point is we can misunderstand stuff with one where we need to ask. We need to ask what's going on or we need to let it go. We need to let it go. So with this in mind, he comes and he says, I urge Eudia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. And it's really important that we see that Paul does not say, I urge you to work out this thing which I've heard is going on between you guys. I urge you to specifically address this issue of the color of the carpet or whatever it might be, whatever their spat was about. He doesn't address that. He does not address the issue between them. And that's really important. That's really important. We need to see that. He urges them to do what they should do, which will be the solution to the problem. See, so often we want to get into the issues and, and people will say, hey, we'll talk to other people. They'll come on. Hey, you know, so-and-so has got this. What do you think about that? And they'll talk to someone else. And then you add someone else in that. And then all of a sudden there's a big problem. Big problem. Go to that person. Do it privately, as we will say. Do it privately. The apostle Paul does not get into the issues. He doesn't because it's not important. It's not important. What's important is that both of them, as we will see, have the mind of Christ, and that will weed out the issues. He says, I urge Eudia and I urge Syndicate to live in harmony in the Lord. And you might not be able to see this, but in your English, they translate it rightly. He uses an unusual Greek construction where he uses the verb twice. You could say, I urge Eudia and Syndicate, and the urge applies to both. That's usually the way you'd say it. Here he says, I urge Eudia, I urge Syndicate. Each one equally. You both need to have, as we will see, the mind of Christ. See, the Apostle Paul is not taking sides here. And that was my point earlier. Don't listen to someone they come to you to talk about someone else. Don't ever do that. If someone says, you know, I want to talk to you about this or that, or just slowly slips in something about this, just say, go talk to them. Go talk to them. Don't listen to it. It's sinful to do so. Don't do it. The Apostle Paul doesn't get into it. I urge Judea. I urge Syndicate. Get your heads right in the Lord, as you're going to see. Okay? 
And he says here to live in harmony. The term actually urges parakaleo. It means to call alongside. And it's, it's translated different ways like urge or beg or appeal. I beg you, Yudia. I beg you, Syntyche. I beg you. I beg you. It's an exhortation to these two women. And then he says to live in harmony. To live in harmony. Now, the NESB translators have translated this word differently than many other translations, and I usually prefer the NESB. And the term harmony, it does, it does convey maybe the sense of what should be happening here in terms of the result. But it doesn't convey what the intent of the author is, I believe. The Greek word translated to live in harmony here is phroneo, which means mind, mind. Um, you'll see in other, pas- in other uh, versions, such as the New King James, they translate it mind. You'll see in your NASB, that I do appreciate, they put a little note in there, right on the side, literally the same mind, the same mind. And that's really important for what we have seen so far in the book of Philippians. This book is about right thinking. And this word, phroneo, has been used throughout this book And so we might miss that with this term to live in harmony in the Lord. He has been making a case for same-mindedness in Christ, and now he's going to apply it directly to these ladies. And that's why the term to live in harmony I don't think is the best translation, because you might not miss what he is building up to, to have the same mind, to have the same mind. He is imploring them, and that term mind is actually modified by a term there, same, same mind, same thinking. That's what Paul is going to, he shares, which will bring about unity and will arrest the disunity. That's what will do it. That's the solution. That's the solution. It is not sitting them down and going through all of the stuff they're going through. It is encouraging and exhorting them to think like Christ in regards to one another and the circumstances as we're going to see. That's the solution. So with that in mind, we need to look at what we've seen so far. Throughout the book of Philippians, we've seen that we are to be same-minded. Look back in uh, chapter 2. Look back in chapter 2, verse 1. And we and we'd be reminded what does it mean to be same-minded. Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete being of the same mind. Think the same way. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. It's actually one-mindedness, again. Intent on one purpose. It's the term phroneo, which means to think to hold an opinion of. It speaks of our thoughts, our attitudes. It speaks of our thoughts and our attitudes. And when we have that term same, it's bottom, it means same thinking. Same thinking. True unity is seen in like-mindedness. The same mind, having the mind of Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. He says, have this attitude, NASB, it should be translated mind. Have this thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is what Yudia and Syndicate need to do. This is the solution to their difficulty. 
having the mind of Christ. Once, not seeing equality with one another as something not to be grasped, right? Seeing others as more important than themselves first. Then emptying oneself in that sense, humbly. Humbly being obedient to God's will, even to the point of death, the mind of Christ. I'm going to obey the Lord when he says, let it go. Forgive, love covers them all to sins. I'm going to obey the Lord when he says presumption causes strife. I'm going to obey the Lord in that. I want to have his mind towards them rather than my mind towards them. And that's the solution. And we see that. It's the renewal of the mind. But how do we get the mind of Christ? How do we have his mind? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You'll remember we saw this uh, back when we were in chapter 2 of Philippians. The Apostle Paul is working on the pride of the, of the Corinthians in chapters 1 through 3, that they would not boast. And he gives an illustration of himself and how he came to them preaching. Not in his own power or wisdom, but by God's power. Not speaking words of wisdom, but words empowered by the Spirit of God. That your faith would not rest in man, but in God. And he talks about the fact that they've received wisdom. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, Now we have received, chapter 2, verse 12, Not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. In context, it's what he just said, those things which were hidden, that eye is not heard, ear is not, eye is not seen, ear is not heard. It's the word of God. It's been given to us, to those who love him. And he says, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, that's a non-believer, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised but he who is spiritual appraises all things yet he himself is appraised by no man for who has known the mind of the lord that he should instruct him who could understand what god is thinking but he says but we have the mind of christ we have god's thoughts in his word we have his thoughts towards the way our attitude should be. We have his thoughts towards the way we should see one another. We have his thoughts concerning how we should react when people wrong us. We have his thoughts that he wants us to act upon and to think like his son Jesus, who is the perfect example, who didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He, he emptied himself, became a bondservant, and then humbling, became obedient to the point of death. So we apply the word of God. We, we want to see someone Christ the way Christ sees them from his word. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, We are not to be conformed to this world, but transformed through the renewing of your mind. You've got to renew your mind before you get to that point where Satan gets a hold and it becomes a big, difficult, bad thing, which can mess up a lot of people. You see, when people who aren't following the Lord have spats and they're not involved in this, they're never around, whatever, they're not serving the Lord actively because they don't have the Spirit of God, when they're spatting and whatever, that's just a distraction. Ministry is not pulled away because they're not ministering, they the Spirit of God. But when people who truly have the Spirit of God, who are following Christ, get into difficulty, that affects the ministry. And so Paul says, I urge Udia, I urge Syndicate, be same-minded. Now, it doesn't mean they're thinking the same thing. It means they're thinking 
what they're thinking is the way the Lord would think about it. How would the Lord think about what is happening right now? How would the Lord think about my heart towards you? How would the Lord think about your heart towards me? How would the Lord think about your reaction to me? How would the Lord think about my reaction to you? What does his word say? That's the only place I'm going to find it. It's the only place I'm going to find it. So I need to have the word dwelling richly in my heart. I need to be in the word so that it can convict me by the spirit when my attitudes are wrong. It can direct me and correct me and train me that I would be a man of God, adequate. You'd be a godly woman, adequate. Godly men and women, adequate, equipped for every good work. So then, to be same-minded, we must have God's truth reigning in our thoughts. Now, it's not simply Bible verses. I've met a lot of people who have God's truth in their head, but it isn't applied to their heart and their actions. They can spout off verses left and right, but they don't apply it to the thing that is right in front of them. Whether it's raising their kids, whether it's how they interact with one another, you've got to apply the Word of God. Apply the Word of God. And it's a battle. It's a good fight of faith. It's a good thing. And we're to press forward to Christ-likeness, not looking back. Not looking back. Do you see that's why it's so important that pastors preach the word, to equip the saints for the works of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, Ephesians 4? So important. Do you see why it's so ludicrous to try to bring unity through dealing with the issues apart from changing the mindset in regards to those issues? When we think biblically, humbly receiving the word, when it's dwelling richly in us, we set our mind on the things above, when we submit to God and his word, there's going to be unity. Because we're going to realize we're sinners and we're messing up at times. We're going to confess and we're going to treat others who are sinning against us the right way. The right way. The defining mark of true unity is, is being of the same mind. Paul said back in chapter 2, make my joy complete, verse 2, by being of the same mind. You want to make your shepherd happy? Think like Jesus. You want to grieve him? Just think the way you used to think. And you'll, have, you'll do that if you're not transformed. So then, do you want to know why you don't get along with your spouse at times? Do you want to know why you have difficulty with other believers at times? Do you want to know why you have trouble at work? Do you want to know why there's lacking unity between true believers at times? It's because Christ's word is not reigning in the heart so as to affect attitudes and behavior towards one another. So then back to our passage. I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony. And notice he says, in the Lord. In the Lord. It's impossible apart from being in Christ. You see, when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were placed into the body of Christ. We are in him, but we have to abide in him too. We need to trust him. We need to rely on him. I can know all the stuff. You can walk out of here today knowing everything I've said, but if you don't trust him and abide in him, it is fruitless and worthless. Apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. I need to trust God that when I apply his word to my heart, that he's going to take care of stuff no matter how much it may blow up in my face or whatever it might be. I trust the Lord. He says, be same-minded in the Lord. There's a reliance. There's a relationship. There's a relationship. 
So then with that in mind, we see very specifically that we are to have the same mind. That's the solution. But let me give you some specific applications based on our passage because what Paul does first is he addresses them to work it out first. And that's always the way we see it in Scripture. You two work it out. But I guess it had gotten so bad that he said, come alongside and help them, right? So how do we do this? So let's say you're in a conflict with another believer. You're both following the Lord, but yet there's a conflict. There's a, there's a spat going on. What do you do? Well, first of all, we need to address ourselves first. Am I irritated or angry? Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil opportunity. Did I do that? Guess what? You confess that, your spat's basically over, right? Is that me? Did I do that? Did I hold an attitude towards someone that was wrong and Satan is now using? Did I get mad? Did I get mad? Did I get upset? It's very important to recognize that. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22, an angry man stirs up strife. Proverbs 30, 33, for the churning of milk produces butter and the pressing of those brings forth blood. So the churning of anger produces strife. You see, now with believers, we don't churn anger. We modify it, right? It becomes irritation. We, we, we don't confess it. We've got to confess it. We've got to confess it. So how am I irritated? Am I angry? Confess it. Get right. And as we'll see in each one of these things, you go to your, the person that's in the situation and apologize. You confess to the Lord first. Secondly, have I taken offense at anything? Am I holding on to anything? Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Is, is, did I get offended? Did someone say or do something that offended me? Hmm. We'll see if we hold on to that. We're the problem. We're the problem. We've got to deal with ourselves first. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not going to read the whole portion, but look at verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is impatient. No, that's not it, right? When we're impatient, we're not walking in the Lord, right? Love is patient. That means someone says something that's not right. You, you trust the Lord. You endure through it. You're patient. Love is what? Angry. No, it's kind. It's kind. There should be kindness. Kindness towards people around us, our kids, everyone. Kindness. Love is kind. Is not jealous. Does not brag. Love does not brag, nor arrogant. Does not act unbecoming. Does not seek its own. Is not what? Provoked. If you are being provoked by the circumstance in that moment, brother and sister, you're not being led by the Lord. You've got to give it over to him. You've got to renew your mind. It's a signal. It's a signal. Love isn't provoked. So I let God's word indicate to me I'm going the wrong way. And I address it and trust him. And he says here, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Doesn't have a list. If you've got a list about people, if you have anything in your heart about a list of people, you got a problem. you got a problem. And you are the problem in the conflict, by the way. Let the Word of God address your heart because this happens with believers who are following the Lord. Yudia, Syndicate, following the Lord. 
entrenched in the fight for the gospel. Yet they've let these things happen. They need to renew their minds in Christ. What about, uh, am I unforgiving? Have I not forgiven someone? 2 Corinthians 2 says that we we know Satan's schemes. We're not to be unforgiving. We give him an advantage if we do so. If we do so. Do I lack his love? 1 Peter 4.8 Love covers a multitude of sins. Am I seeing the other person in this circumstance in light of God's word as more important than myself? If I'm not, I'm lacking his love and I am the problem. I'm the problem. And lastly, there's a whole bunch. This is just examples of applying the word. Lastly, have I presumed? Now, I gave you a horrible example of that earlier, but you probably didn't understand the illustration I gave. But the reality is we are not to presume. It's arrogant. It's ungodly. And we do it a lot. We do it a lot. And I see at the root of much strife and difficulty is presumption. Presumption. Proverbs 13.10. We see here, through presumption comes nothing but strife. Guess what? If you presume about someone, the only outcome is strife. That's it. So I look at it and I see, I look at that. Have I presumed? Now, as a shepherd, by the way, I'm supposed to watch over the flock. And I'm supposed to watch over your spiritual condition. And there are times at which there are things that happen that aren't complete, but they sure point to something. It sure looks like that might be the case. Guess what? I deliberately do not make the conclusion because I don't know for sure. And I know that if it really is, God will have something else show eventually. It'll eventually be manifest if it really is. So I don't do it. Don't you do it. You see, when someone says something to you, don't presume you know the motive, that you know what's going on behind that. When you do, the outcome is strife. You might need to ask them, hey, what did you mean by that? Oh, really? I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Right? You know, I mean, you, 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 you don't presume. So the first thing is, am I the problem? So I take God's word and I apply it over my life first. And if I am... I confess to the Lord, I'm forgiven, praise the Lord, as far as the east is the west, and I go to my brother or sister and I say, look, I'm really sorry. I was presumptive about that. I'm sorry. Or if it's just maybe you didn't love them and maybe they were messing up and you know God wanted you to let it be covered, you just go, hey, I'm sorry for, for my attitude towards you. It's that simple. So then, first of all, we are to examine ourselves in light of the word of God. In light of the word of God. And it's only after that, if we don't have sin in the circumstance and the spat is still there, then we go to the other person. Okay? It's only after we know that we're right and our mind is thinking like Christ. And we go to the other person. And at that time, most of the time, love covers the multitude of sins. Most of the time, we just let it go even if they did mess up. Even if they were late or they were insensitive or they, or they said something that, that, that hurt my feelings for the moment. Even if they did, we let it go. But if it's gotten to that point, which is very rare, and this is a situation here where it's not going away, you may need to go to that person. You may need to go to that person. You see, Scripture gives us a provision. 
You see, if someone has sinned against us, we're to go to them, right? Privately. Never t- saying, hey, I'm going to go talk to so-and-so about how badly he treated me. Pray for me, all right? Don't do that. Go to him privately. Go to him privately. Or if it's the opposite and you think they have something against you, Matthew chapter 23. Let's look at that. Matthew 5, verse 23. A lot of times you can just sense, and I've had this happen. Now, most of the time it's with people who are non-believers, unbelievers, make-believers. It's not usually with people who are following the Lord. It shouldn't be that way. People who are serving the Lord with the right hearts usually get over it, and that's done. But every once in a while it isn't that way, and here's what we need to do in case... Matthew 5, 23, and, and you have already searched your heart. You have already gone through the word of God. You're open to hearing even from them, even to have a, a change of you, if you, something you didn't see. Matthew 5, 23, if therefore you're presenting your offering at the altar, hey, you're worshiping, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Okay, it's on their end, not your end at this point. You've already confessed, right? Okay, or even that's not even, not even in the process, but see, look at the principle. Leave your offering there before the altar. Go your way and first be reconciled to your brother. Then come and present your offering. It's really important. You better not think you can worship God and not be reconciled. Reconcile. Go to your brother. Hey, I noticed that when I walk by you, you're looking away from me. You're not smiling anymore. I'm seeing the signs of things that concern me. Have I done something to offend you? Have I sinned against you? I want to be right with you. I want to be right. Right? Now, also, there may be a situation where you start, to, you start to discern that there is sin on the part of the other party. You've addressed your sin if it's there. Maybe not. Sometimes there is an innocent party. It's not always two parties. Sometimes there's one. But you've addressed it. Then we do what we heard read earlier. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1, brethren, even if a man is tra- caught in any trespass, the, the, the point is, it probably isn't going to happen, but even if it does, even if it does, tripped up, right? They're tripped up, they're, they're snagged by something. They got snagged, and their heart is wrong, they're sinning, it's not normally the way they are, they, they got tripped up by it. They got tripped up by it. He says here, you who are spiritual. What that means, back in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, right? It's someone who is walking by the Spirit. You better, if you're walking by the Spirit of God, not in your flesh, then he says here, uh, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. It's gentleness. A lot of gentleness, a lot of kindness, folks. I see a lot of uh, men are typically like this. We see it with kids, whatever it might be, and they're not gentle, they're harsh. Not to be harsh, be gentle gentle he says and this especially with the interaction between one another restore such a one hey hey brother you know i just noticed you're not looking at me i notice you're you're snappy at me your attitude is bad towards me and and you know and it's been and you know and this is a big thing not small not every little thing like that i'm just giving an example right he says you who are spiritual restore such a one each one in gentleness looking to yourself, lest you be tempted. You too be tempted. You could fall just like them. You're just as vulnerable. And then certainly we have Matthew 18, but I don't think it would come to that point between true believers who've been following the Lord. I think they're going to go, yeah, you know, yeah, I blew it. Sorry. Hey, brother, you know, right? 
Okay, so first of all, we must resolve it between ourselves. Paul says, I urge you and I urge you, be same-minded. Apply the word of God, have the mind of Christ towards the circumstance. But if that doesn't work and it becomes very serious, sometimes there needs the help. Guess what? If you've got two brothers or sisters here that you know or love the Lord, they really do. They're not make-believers. They're not fakers. They're not not only Sunday saints. They are faithful to the Lord. They're serving him in the body of Christ. And there's a problem. And it's not going away. They're not resolving it. He says here, indeed, verse 3, back in Philippians 4. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also, help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, true comrade, we're not sure who this person was. It certainly was a man. Um, The comrade is modified by the word true, which means uh, a genuine. It actually spoke of a legitimate child versus an illegitimate child. He's saying, true believer, this is a true believer, true comrade. Some think it's Epaphroditus, some think it's who knows, they all got a bunch of ideas. The term comrade here reminds you of the old Soviet Union, but that's not what it is. It speaks of someone who is a a fellow yoke fellow, a yoke fellow, someone I'm yoked to, yoked to, in the terms of companionship in ministry. A yoke fellow, a yoke fellow. So he's calling upon this true comrade, probably one of the leaders, and then Clement, who was probably one of the leaders also, only time his word is said, his name is said, help them. How do they help them? Exactly what he told the ladies to do. Be same-minded. How do you help someone from the outside who's having a conflict? You allow the word of God to help them see things rightly so that they would think like Christ. Like Christ. These women had struggled for the cause of Christ and... They were to help. Now, this term helps an interesting word. It speaks of even, it could, it's translated conceiving it sometimes. It's also used to speak of catching fish or grasping or arresting someone. It speaks of helping someone, but it speaks of like grabbing them to help them in a sense. You know what I'm saying? You are coming up to them. You are helping them. Do you see what I'm saying? In Luke chapter 5, it speaks of, uh, of the boats that came to help uh, the boats that were full of fish that the Lord had put in there. And they were all sinking. They came close by to help. Okay? It's not help from a distance. It's gr- coming alongside, grasping, and helping. This means you have to be selfless. You need to be willing to obey the Lord and go alongside the difficulty and share the word of God. Now, I think those are the leaders, but also, he says here, also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We see in Revelation and in other places that God has the book of life. Those are those who have overcome through the blood of Jesus Christ. Those are those who are truly saved. He's saying, you too, you true, genuine comrade, you're the real deal. You're the real deal. And Clement, go alongside, plus the rest of the true believers. Come alongside. Come alongside. The rest. And who is the rest? It's everyone that's left. Everyone's left. You see, if something gets to this big of a point between believers who've been in the Lord and following him, then there needs to be some help. And this is how you do it. This is how you do it. And notice he also says, the rest of my, what? Fellow workers. Fellow workers. Now, I could give you a list of fellow workers in this church, to be honest with you. Those who are working under the Lord. I could give you a list of those who aren't fellow workers, at least right now. 
If you're desirous to do so, praise the Lord. Ask him how he can use you. Fellow workers, there's work to be done, brothers and sisters. There's work to be done in the ministry. The word going out to build us up, that we would go into the world and share the gospel. There's work to be done. There's certainly different gifts. There's preaching and teaching uh, among the church. The highest gift right now is teaching. Used to be apostles, prophets, and teachers. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. The word of God is important. But there are all the supporting gifts, the serving gifts that go alongside. There are those who minister together as fellow workers. Workers actually work. They do work. They expend effort. These are true believers. These are true believers. Along with the rest of my fellow workers. He's calling upon true believers in the body of Christ to come to aid. And he's delineating who the ones are. Fellow workers. Fellow workers. So then, we're to come alongside those who are in conflict. Galatians 1, Matthew 5.23, personally first. And then we're to come along together. We're to come on together. We see in... Um, the book of Romans, um, or actually 1 Thessalonians. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 and we'll finish up. Actually, with two passages and then we'll go to 1 Peter 3. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse, two, verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, Live in peace with one another. Live in peace. Live in peace, brothers and sisters. No conflict. And don't be like the way the world is. You get conflict and you go somewhere else. I'll go to a different church. Resolve the conflict. Get right with the Lord. Right? He says, live in peace with one another. And I urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Those are out of step. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all men. It takes patience. Be patient. How are we to overcome those hindrances to standing firm? How do we resolve conflict in the body of Christ? First and foremost, we resolve it within those parties initially first by seeking to have the mind of Christ. And this applies in marriage relationships. It applies in friendships in Christ. It applies in everything but especially in the body of Christ. We seek to apply the truth of God to us personally first. We confess if need be, and then we go to the others rightly. And then if there has to be the rest of the body, those who are following Christ, those who are actively working for him, fellow workers, come together, come together to help those. Let's close and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. To sum up, let all be harmonious. This is actually a cognate of the word that we saw. Thinking the same. Let us all be harmonious. We're not thinking the same thoughts, but we're thinking thoughts that are in line with God's word, and it's like a beautiful harmony of music. It's all different notes, but they work together together, all from the one who gave it. Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. 
For you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. Let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile, and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Are you doing that? He says, For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this passage today. Lord, I pray that uh, we will learn that we will be those who have this attitude which was in your Son, Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone who's in conflict right now or has any of these things we've seen today that they would just confess their attitudes, thoughts that are inconsistent with the way your Son wants us to think. And that we would be a body that doesn't give ground to sin or Satan, but allows you to reign our hearts and minds so that you'd be glorified. And we know that's where true joy is. Lord, I do also pray for anyone here who has never known the peace that comes through a real relationship with your son. May they turn and believe, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for them, you died for me, and you rose from the dead. Save me. So Lord, thank you for this time together. May we not forget what we have heard. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.